Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Nick Horan. He's the global brand experience lead at Reckit. And he's focused on driving category growth by translating design into meaningful brand experiences and sustainable innovations. And he shares a ton of examples with us today. He's passionate about using his creativity as an enabler of positive change. And he's part of Reckitt's hygiene and home brand experience team, where he leads on stain removal brand Vanish. Today on the show, we'll talk about the future of brand experience, what it looks like in totality, what it looks like for fast-moving consumer goods, categories like Vanish and Reckitt's brands, how he's attacking e-commerce and digital marketing challenge, what physical experience means into delivering actual brand experience, and much more. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Nick Horan. Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to this conversation. And it's not every day you get to start a conversation talking about nuclear submarines. Um, so what's your what's your connection to those? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a strange one. I'm not going to lie. But I left university with a with a degree in product design. And so I guess my natural progression was to go into product design. And 
I was lucky enough to secure a, a year's worth of work as a junior product engineer for uh, an interesting consultancy in, in Cambridge. And mm. I loved it. I mean, it was, it was wonderful. They had the most bizarre selection of clients. And one of them <laughs> happened to be a sort of nautical instruments business where I had to design the shell of a device that was ultimately going to sit on the side of a nuclear submarine. So it was kind of used for when they were docking and so forth. Looking back, it was a bizarre challenge thinking about it. It's like a combination of human factors, design, like stowability. Imagine the spaces that these things go in. Oh, yeah, that's true. And then, of course, like they're exposed to some pretty extreme conditions. So you can imagine the, that list of requirements. So, yeah, kind of random, but looking back, super place to cut my teeth. And, um, <laughs> there was it. some other, other stuff in there, like hard, heart surgery equipment, prototypes wow. for production lines. It was, it was crazy. <laughs> Put it that way. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, like what the, I mean, I guess design and product design applies to everything, but you don't think that one place is doing all of those things. <laughs> That's kind of crazy. Well, um, let's, let's talk about from those days to where you are now as the brand experience lead for Vanish Stain Remover at Wreck-It. What, <laughs> what was your path along the way? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> as I'm sure you can imagine by that, that kind of first question, it's not been a straight path by any means, but uh, I guess how many careers are really. So I, I did the engineering bit for a, for a while and decided that wasn't entirely for me because I guess they had projects that had the most enormous timeline, so sometimes up to 10 years. Venice, for very good reason. You know, they had a lot of validation to be done. But I just realized personally I wanted to be in a much faster sector. So I spent a bit of time interning with branding agencies in London on the back of, uh, again, another random project, but uh, a university project where I was rethinking the KFC family bucket. But I fell in love with working on brands, it, looking at how to enter new spaces, how to new places, or uncovering a brand's history and bringing that to life through awesome creative. But mainly I was working in that fast-paced environment that I, I really craved with actually fantastic creative teams. And I suppose I was afforded the opportunity to build a, a design studio in Singapore at one point where we were working predominantly on bringing pretty heritage Scottish whiskey to affluent markets in Asia, as well as things like skincare product innovation. So again, very varied. But I think I went abroad and when you sort of come home, it forces a little bit of reflection. And I think it was at that point I... I decided to have real impact on brands. I wanted to make the move in-house. And brand experience encompasses so much from mm -hmm. people's psychology, from when they are exposed to a brand for the first time, or, or how to present a brand in different purchase environments or shopper behavior or how a product's used or digital channels to, to interact with brands longer term. And I guess with that, that broad experience from engineering through different markets and creative and different touch points, um, my skills match quite a few of those challenges. And that's kind of why the, the brand experience lead for Vanish at Wreck-It sort of seemed a natural progression for me and allowed me to move in-house, which was fantastic. That's awesome. And it does seem like somebody with your background, you know, both engineering and, and product design and that kind of thing, it would naturally lend itself to brand experience because it, it is, combines the human, the physical, all the elements, if you will, I guess. Um, yeah. I think it, as a product designer, you're, you're, you're trained to think not just the thing in front of you, but how it interacts with the world. So, mm. you know, from day one, your training is thinking about a broader set of things that you're designing and not just the artifact itself, one of a better word. 
Yeah. Well, speaking of your role today as brand experience lead, what does that all include at at Reckitt? Yeah, so I, I did a bit of bit of a calculation the other the other day with a, a friend of mine in research, and I calculated that the brand I'm currently looking after, which is Vanish, which is a stain removal brand, it's in seventy odd different countries, but I think we calculated about twelve interactions per second that brand is having. So that's based on kind of cost of product, the amount of sales that we're making, how many media exposures is it that it has, how regular the product is being used itself. So my role is to set the direction for how we want people to experience the brand across a labyrinth, frankly, of offline and online touch points. So identifying a sort of framework from someone's first exposure of a brand to then advocacy and repurchase. I then sort of enable the organization to deploy great creativity at those touch points and, and allow that kind of engagement in 70 or so different countries that we're in. So ultimately, it's providing best-in-class creative direction, fantastic creative assets. And then I work part of the global business largely with people like global marketing, insights, research and development teams to bring to life new innovations to those different markets, but also fair amount of work and fairness with our local marketing teams to help them deploy the brand and those innovations. So it's it's a pretty varied day in the office, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like it. And I mean the complexity there across all the touch points, 70 plus countries, 12 interactions per second. It both sounds fast and fast. <laughs> <laughs> fast moving consumer goods, I guess. So yeah, uh, putting exactly. the F in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it how do you think about just the function or discipline of brand experience overall like and i mean it it seems all encompassing but i'm curious how you think about it yeah i it's a tricky question but i mm. if i take a step back i keep thinking brands have never really been more personified than they are today so i'll give you an example i, I bought a pair of headphones last year but i bought them not just because the sound was great i mean it was great but also because of their environmental credentials and based on the materials, its construction and so forth. But also they were giving some of the profits to, to technologies to develop more technologies for those with hearing impairments, which I just thought was really cool. And then when they broke down, which was a couple of days ago in fairness, um, <laughs> I had a WhatsApp conversation with, with the brand that sold that headphones. And, and now, of course, it's a person on the other side and that's, it's really fantastic AI, in which case kudos that they've got great AI. But that WhatsApp conversation was between me and the brand. It wasn't between me and the customer service person. Mm. You know, that the platform they were using, the tone of voice, the ease of which the problem was resolved mm. was the voice of the brand, not an individual. So when I think of brand experience, it's all about being available to have and drive, I suppose, rich conversations with people uh, on whatever media platforms they're most comfortable in and to build a relationship and to kind of create a community around shared views, wider issues, or just having your headphones fixed. So when I think about brand experience, it's kind of trying to make sure that people have the smoothest, most delightful, most problem-solving experience that somehow also makes them feel engaged with the world around them and, and somehow to align their purpose, their, their core values to that of the brand as well. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I like that example and interesting how they're solving their own customer support challenges through WhatsApp as well. Oh, super smart. I just, and it meant it was all on my own time. You know, I didn't have to sort of sit up and listen to green sleeves on the end of a phone and wait 25 <laughs> minutes and hope it doesn't fall off. You know, it's that sort of yeah. thing. It's, it's great. Super smooth. Awesome. Well, so as you think about it, how does like what you just described in brand experience and you know, bringing that to life, how does that translate, if you will, to your category, fast moving consumer goods? I think I'll be honest if I'm, yeah. If I can be like, I think FMCG is still on that journey like, as an industry. It comes from a slightly different heritage, you know, that sort of 1950s style advertising where like, advertising and broadcast was, was the key to driving purchase. But we're now in an era where we're being exposed to something like 5,000 brands compared to something like 500 brands in the 1950s. Mm. So you know, we can't just rely on TV for brand interactions. Previously, it was about television. Maybe you might come across someone doing a demo in store or the store clerk recommends a brand. Right. And actually, in that time, a brand needed only be sort of problem solver. If I think I'm being honest, I hope I am. But the world's, the world's changed. And, and with that personification that we were talking about, people expect brands to take a stance on on larger societal issues, join cultural discussions. I, I keep using Nike as a reference, but they're, they're supporting an equal playing field by taking a stance on the American civil rights movement, which is in the 1950s unheard of for a brand to kind of take that sort of position and to mm. align to those sorts of things because they, they, they made trainers, right? right. Or, or sneakers. So we're moving to brands being sort of more community focused and turning from broadcast to more conversation expressions and, and being part of a cultural context. So if I take my brand, Vanish, for example, mm-hmm. we want to keep clothes in circulation for as long as possible because the fashion industry is the second largest contributor to CO2 emissions and garment waste in landfill is, is a massive issue. So, so we're innovating alongside our traditional stain removal credentials and building benefits around other reasons people might discard a garment such color protection, hygiene, odor removal. And we've created products that completely revive cotton garments so people can wear them for longer. And we're building our brand experience to create conversations around that impact so everyone can have an understanding about how changing habits in garment consumption can have a positive impact on broader society. So in answer to your question, I think we've, we've got a lot to learn in terms of of brand experience and we've got a lot of distance to travel as FMCG but I'm quite excited about how brands can take a, a much larger role in that context. Yeah 
No, I, I love those examples. And the, the thing I keep thinking about as I think about your category too is just this, it seemed slow at some levels, but I don't think it has been that slow of a, of a basically deconstruction of the historical business model yeah. and recombination of new pieces again in this new world where we've got different new channels for buying goods and services. You've got new ways of buying them, you know, and so yeah. shopping in front of the shelf is not maybe as important for certain categories as it used to be. But to your point, FMCG, I think it's, it's been slower to evolve, to adapt to all of those changing dynamics. So kudos to what you're doing at Vanish. Sounds that makes it, makes it a cool space to operate in because there's a, a good road ahead of you and uh, you know a great platform for innovation to be honest. So it's great. Well, and I saw some of your some of your work, I guess, from the brand coming to life in terms of uh, how the product Vanish actually works, and it's pretty amazing, frankly. <laughs> Thank you. Some of the like rehab, if you will, of, of old garments put them back into like back into use, if you will. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Well, um, one of the things we just mentioned was new channels and things like e-commerce is, is one of mm -hmm. those, um, as well as digital marketing overall. Like, how are you thinking about attacking those two areas as a you know, fast-moving consumer goods brand? Yeah, I mean, it kind of comes back to what we were talking about earlier. So, I mean, first of all, we need to acknowledge that a lot of our products were built for traditional retail and we're just not really purpose-built for e-commerce. So the main sort of start point for us is is to kind of acknowledge that and to understand that we need to build products for the ground up in e-commerce. So Miracle, which I described earlier, is a one-shot revival for cotton garments, which is, is pretty cool, um, e-commerce. But one I'm pretty proud of is, is our multi-benefit tablets. And it was built from the ground up, so we could ship it in its own container and remove the need for any further packaging around it. It'll fit through the vast majority of letterboxes to avoid people having to sit and wait or their parcel being delivered outside and sitting in the rain. Probably more of a problem in the EU, to be fair. But the product, it also was a convenient monodose tablet, which appeals to that kind of more e-commerce purchaser preference. Mm -hmm. And then we generated this really lovely unboxing experience, as well as a whole suite of creative assets for social and e-commerce channels to educate people about the benefit of closed longevity. And we made use of things like QR codes to funnel people to further points of engagement, to things like online calculators that demonstrate the impact of keeping their garments in circulation for longer. So in answer to your question, we're attacking it by building the right products for the people that engage in those channels and trying to consider the digital touch points that sit around it and engage people on our brand so that it's working so it's kind of working towards the experience that people expect in that channel versus trying to rehash a traditional retail channel mentality and just putting it in e-commerce because we've seen mm -hmm. that it resonates enough, but we can get much more resonance by sort of building from the ground up. And uh, I think it's working. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that product is now the number one in the stain removers category in Amazon and UK, and that's after something like four months worth of sale. So. Wow. making sure that we are designing the right experience and the right touch points for that sort of digital first consumer journey really works. So that, that's kind of how we're attacking it. And we're thinking about other products and building on that e-commerce first portfolio longer term. Yeah. I mean, that's an amazing example because it hits on 
so many different elements that yeah. you just described, you know, the echo, the eco-friendly benefits, the how it's delivered and the ease at which it comes to your house or wherever you're sending it, the unboxing, the education, the you know, further entrenching people in what you're trying to do as a brand. I mean, I want to see your checklist. Like, like <laughs> how, how are you designing against all of these elements? I mean, because it's very, very comprehensive. Yeah, and it it starts, I guess, by by understanding all the touch points in that journey. And we have some really smart people in the organization, in insights, and in media that understand what the consumption habits are of those users, how they're consuming that media, and then identifying the touch points that will have the most impact for design intervention. And once we understand that, we can then say, okay, well, unboxing experience, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what are the kind of key things that are going to deliver absolutely fantastic packaging that deliver an unboxing experience that people will talk about? It was bizarre. Like I, I did some research the <laughs> other day. Just under 50% of people had very kindly written a review or photographed their unboxing experience of Spanish State Remover. And that, and we're not talking again about sneakers here. <laughs> right. uh, or phones uh, or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, I was just like, this is, this is amazing. So people do genuinely appreciate it. And I suppose it's a thing of reciprocity. You design mm-hmm. something beautiful then for them, then they, they feel obliged to kind of give you a pat on the back maybe. But anyway, so that was clearly a high value touch point for this, this project. And we, we look at other kind of high value touch points and say, okay, these are the things that are going to be heavy hitting because we can't do everything said the, the checklist would be enormous but being choiceful about at those different moments of truth at those different moments when people are going through a, a journey with the brand making sure the things that really matter to them show up and have the right creative at that point it product design creative graphic creative or digital creative that really drive impact and build relationships with them yeah i mean we've we've been talking about the benefits of product itself like the technical aspects of it we've been talking about just now like how you're packaging this for the d2c and the e-commerce channel i'm curious if you have other examples of like physical experience like packaging and how it plays into to the brand experience overall yes i mean this is something i've always taken with me it was a very wise person who once told me you can have the best activation in the world if you're (laughs) If your product doesn't perform, then it's wasted money. <laughs> so building a packaging experience that is intuitive, that coaches, that educates people to get the best performance out of the product so they can be wowed by that performance is one of the major aspects of, of physical product of packaging and product design that I love. And I'm a product design designer at my heart, so... <laughs> That's kind of the, the spaces that I love to play in. Brand language, of course, plays a part. Human factors to get the most optimum performance is a priority. So I think that's kind of a, one of the things that I always take with me into any kind of physical design challenge. But in addition, we were talking about digital assets and digital design. There's a really nice opportunity, I think, in, in bridging the gap between physical and digital experiences and taking people to richer experiences, deeper content, and funneling people to those spaces where they can engage with us as a brand further, you know, whether they're sat on the train going from Washington to New York or, or whatever else. So we are investing in, in trying to bridge that gap through the use of connected packs, which in short is putting QR codes on pack and taking people to some sort of digital experience. So 
that combination of coaching, training, and making sure that they're using the products in the right way, but also enhancing the experience by bridging physical and digital is kind of core to, I think, total product experience. I love it. Love it. And a side note, completely sort of unrelated to what you were just talking about, but like QR codes, you come up a couple of times and I have to admit, like I thought they were going to die, but the, I think the pandemic breathed new life into QR codes, Yeah. but man, how useful are they? Like, and (laughs) why did we not know this before? You know, like it's such a shortcut, a short hack in life. And uh, it took a pandemic to revive them, I think. But, yeah, and, um, and Apple to make it native in their, um, yes, in their technologies that helps. as well. <laughs> that definitely helps. Yeah, exactly. But, exactly. Uh, no, I agree. I mean, it's, I mean, it's rawest form. It's a gateway to to kind of ease someone's experience to getting into an online space. Um, yeah, and yeah. as soon as people start using it, you can see that the the kind of levels of adoption are, are increasing. And as you said, COVID has, has been a, a massive catalyst for that. Yeah, I think one of the things that we've learned, which probably sounds quite obvious, but if you put great content on the other side, people will use it again. If yeah. you don't think about what's on the other side of the QR code, then mm-hmm. someone's probably not going to engage for a second or third time. So, mm-hmm. you know, thinking through what content we want to expose at that point, maybe when someone's got the product in their hand for the first time, or mm-hmm. and maybe they're a long-term user lover of our brand, we got to kind of think through those scenarios to make sure that as I said, what's on the other side of that gate is super compelling. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. And I, I feel like we we owe whoever came up with the QR code like an award or something. Um, <laughs> because I'm sure they've uh, they've seen their own uh, ups and downs, uh, thinking that it was going to die a slow death, and then uh, and then now we're, where we are. So um, exactly, definitely is the easy button to get you to a gateway to your use your word to uh, whatever you're trying to get to next. But um, where do you see the future of brand experience going? I mean, you're definitely at you know, driving it and driving it to new places. So I'm curious to get your perspective on the future. Yeah, uh, it's a subject that sometimes scares me a little bit. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we discussed earlier the volume of brand exposures between the 50s and now, you know, mm-hmm. that, that increase from 500 to 5,000 or thereabouts that someone has in their, their one day. And the amount of channels places, spaces, which brands are engaging is enormous. And there are new platforms, new technologies that, that kind of continue to emerge. So, you know, QR is not necessarily a particularly new one, but it, it's, a, it's an emergent one for our space. Mm-hmm. Uh, the metaverse, you know, people keep talking about right. that as well. And that's an emerging space as well. So I think the future, if I'm honest, is the continuation of the move from broadcast to conversation engagements. So I think it's for brands to, to slow down a bit, actually, and, and give people the freedom to get engage on their terms, to be available, to be relatable and purposeful when someone wants to engage with you. So in essence, I suppose what I'm trying to describe is, is moving away from just broadcast to richer, more purposeful engagements. Actually, when I think about it, I, I don't think we have a choice in moving to that future because if we keep building the way we are, there are going to be so many brands competing for space and attention that actually you're just not going to be memorable. So having that depth becomes a massively important factor moving forward. I like that a lot. And a couple of things stick out to me about what you said is that 
the purposeful, the richness of the engagement or the conversation. Because we hear a lot today about personalization and there's a, it feels, I think the, the essence is right, but the execution a lot of times feels like broadcast fractured. <laughs> yeah. Like we went from rifle shot to shotguns, you know, <laughs> like uh, <laughs> spraying personalization everywhere we can, but it doesn't get to your point, which is like the purposefulness potentially, uh, or the richness of that engagement. I like, I really like the future you're describing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Personalization was, was a bit of a adage for a while. Yeah. <laughs> but, but people were trying to provide personalization without talking to anyone. And right. Right. You know, how can you personalize an experience without knowing the individual and, and how to craft something around them? And, uh, you know, that is the, the definition of personalization. Right. It's more than just offering to, I don't know, stitch someone's initials on a collar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, this has been fun to talk about what you're doing at Vanish and Reckit and all the things related to brand experience. One of the things I love doing is getting to know the person behind the microphone. And my favorite question to ask everyone that comes on the show is, has there been an experience of your past that defines and makes up who you are today? Well, that's... Uh... Yeah, philosophical. I love it. Um, <laughs> you ever think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think if I look back, I, I couldn't hear for a portion of my childhood. So I, I really enjoyed in that time observing how people interacted with the world around them. I guess it's, a, it's sort of a, a habit that sort of stuck. And I suppose it provides you with, with a slightly different perspective and potentially an empathy of, of how people are kind of interacting with products, the world around them, how they're using things. And I suppose observing that just makes you start to think about how you could better that space, that world around people. And uh, yeah, it's just kind of stuck with me, I think. Interesting. If you don't mind me asking, like, what was, what happened? What, what was going on at that point in time? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I was, I think I was about the age of four maybe okay. five so yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah just had a had a uh, ear condition that, that meant okay. I undiagnosed for quite some time and mm. uh, just just meant that I couldn't couldn't hear for a bit of time um, which was actually kind of fixed quite quickly with a, a fairly straightforward procedure um, right. okay but yeah it was a, a solid 12 months I think wow. and I know it sounds mad to think of that as a memory but I think it's it's one of those things that are quite formative they kind of no, they're, definitely. They're kind of definitely. sticky. <laughs> definitely, definitely formative. And I mean, you always you read and you hear about you know people that have a, a one sense that is unavailable to them for whatever reason, right? And that, yeah, and for a period of time, and that it can essentially your other senses can heighten. And I can't help but think about the fact that you went into product design <laughs> at one point and engineering and and all the things that you're doing now. I wonder if there isn't some element of you know, your childhood experience of having heightened senses, or other senses than other people that you see things differently. Quite possibly. I still have a terrible sense of taste, though, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe right. didn't help at all of them. Yeah, Maybe yeah. that's something to do with COVID. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Well, uh, what advice would you give your younger self if you're starting this journey all over again? Wow. How old? How old's my younger self? Teenager or something? I don't know. Sure. Um, you pick the age. It's okay. <laughs> so I, I was 
I was really, really at school, school age. I love resistant materials, which I think is, is workshop or woodshop in the US. I, 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 okay. Yeah. Guessing. But I, I guess my advice would be that creativity is more than, more than woodshop. It's a, it's a true $2 trillion industry. It has more than 50 million jobs worldwide. So I guess keep building stuff and, and don't worry about not understanding what Shakespeare's metaphors might possibly have meant. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I still don't know. My 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 English literature was was the bane of my life at that point. <laughs> I think I think Shakespeare was just the rap artist of his time. You know? like, I, and I think it gets more interesting if you think of him like that. But, yeah. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what topic do you think marketers need to be learning about more, or it, it could be something that you're learning about yourself? So I think um, I think it's for all of us, but creativity for that sort of omni-channel world. I know omni-channel is probably a bit overused, but I think that that omni-channel marketing space is something that is still very emergent. We're still learning and I think is a really exciting area to learn more in. I read a book quite recently. It's called The Experience, The X Experience by Brian Solis. And I know he's, he's quite big in uh, digital experience in the US and the way he explains it to me, even though it was written sort of I think probably five or 10 years ago, mm -hmm. it's still fascinating. It's still super resonant. And it just goes to show how fast omnichannel marketing has to move to keep up. So I think, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, I think that's probably a key topic for, for marketers really to remain relevant. I love it. Well, um, is there on a personal level, you, you talked about headphones earlier, are there brands, yeah. companies or causes that you follow or you think other people should be taking notice of? Yeah, I mean, I think in my wider sphere, there are companies like Vinted and Depop. I mean, I'm guessing they exist in the US as well, but they're really think, rethinking the model of garment ownership. We've also got uh, companies like Oxwash here in the UK who are rethinking the, the way of cleaning and the model that sits behind that. So taking it out of home, using NASA technologies to kind of clean garments, it's incredible. But also the experience that sits around it is super engaging. So they're doing, honestly, brilliant work on building new platforms, new technologies, and building really great relationships with their brand communities around the space of fashion. So that's kind of in my wider sphere. And there's certainly people that I've, I've, I take notice of and I'm inspired by. Interesting. I, I haven't heard of them, so I'll have to oh, check okay. them out and link to them. But, uh, but yeah, that sounds I'll send you the links after the call. Awesome. And then last question for you, what do you think is the largest opportunity or threat facing marketers today? Okay. I think we'll do one of both. Okay. So I think the opportunity really is, is to develop sustainable innovations. We need a better future. The world needs it. People are actively selecting and deselecting products as a result of, of sustainability and those credentials brands have in that space. So I think not just that, but Putting sustainability at the heart of innovation has been demonstrably a, a catalyst for business growth. So mm. I think there's, that is a huge opportunity. It's one we are actively looking at for the brand and actively progressing with, as we were talking about, linking purpose for clothes like new and innovating in that space. Massive mm. catalyst for innovation. So, and I, I would just add that I, the week that we're recording this, the World Economic Forum is going on. And I hope that there's that kind of conversation going on there as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's a win-win-win. So sustainability is, is the opportunity. I think the largest threat 
is is probably not acknowledging the shifts in media consumption that's happening around us and and not building frankly brand love in that changing landscape so you know a lot about what the conversation we had earlier is is kind of centered around so i think that's probably a huge threat to the brand not innovating with media consumption I love that. I love that. Well, Nick, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a fascinating conversation. Thank you. I really loved it. Thank you, Alan. Appreciate it. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with post-production support from Sam Robertson. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com. Tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love hearing from listeners. You can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes and links to what was discussed in the episode today. And you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Market.